0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another uh, SACPA session this morning. I hope you're all feeling well. Uh, SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of Blackfoot People and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. And we pay respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationships to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the way of the ways past and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA is also very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, we're very happy to welcome uh, Chris Perry on the topic of sustainable farming. What role can biogas production play in reducing CO2 emissions? Chris Perry is the co-founder and president of C. K.P. Farms Limited and Grow the Energy Circle Limited, which is also known as GrowTech. He's a farm boy at heart with a passion for renewable energy. He would like to participate in expanding Alberta's agricultural industry to its full potential in the next decade or two. Chris manages a 4,000 irrigated acre farm together with his brother Harold in southern Alberta. They grow potatoes and green peas. GrowTech commissioned a 633 kilowatt generating capacity anaerobic digester waste to energy facility in November 2014. And they produce triple their farms electricity use for or from organic waste. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. And we look forward to your talk.
1: Thank you very much, Annalise, And uh, thank you to SACPA and the opportunity to talk. Uh, Also a happy belated National Agriculture Day that was just this past Tuesday. I'm first and foremost a farmer. So shout out to all the other farmers in the crowds out there. This is my first legit venue, I suppose, at really getting an opportunity to talk about our story with a little bit of a political tinge. So uh, I've changed it up a little bit from previous stories that some of you might've heard, and and hopefully it makes sense. I'm gonna share a little bit of relevant political news, some recent, some not. And my intent is that by um, getting this story out and combining with our story, Hopefully, it will all come together and make some sense in the end and and look forward to the question and answer after if uh, if that comes up. So next slide, Uh, talking about uh, big picture stuff and obviously climate, but starting with the Paris Agreement. So of course, the legally binding international treaty we um, have all heard about, Uh, 196 parties agreed to participate the goal to limit global warming. And whether we agree or not, or any kind of peace, we, we all can agree that it is big news around the world and internationally. So a uh, recent shout out, uh, not shout out, but recognition from Prime Minister Trudeau and Mr. Biden down south, the U.S. back in joining the Paris Agreement. So that made news. Um, Next slide on the international stage. Of course, we have uh, China participating, we have Russia participating, India, Denmark. A shout out to Knut Peterson there and the Danes in the crowd. Germany, of course, and the EU, always at the forefront of of climate action. So a real international stage here at home, the Government of Canada. Next slide. uh, We've obviously are are participating to a a standard and and some of the pieces that we are uh, putting in place to help address our climate change is a new hydrogen strategy the clean fuel standards that has come out federally uh, hopping into provincially in, in here at home in Alberta we have the climate and change emissions management corporation uh, now dubbed the era their emissions reduction and the carbon fund in Alberta so we've we've been lucky enough to get some funds from that but funding pro- projects that are are carbon friendly um, in British Columbia I'll bring this together at the end while I give them a shout out, but they're very aggressive on their climate goals and now have a pathway to 2050 on on getting carbon neutral. So so lots of stuff going on in the space. Uh, Next slide, back a little bit a while ago, back at the Paris Agreement talks, a lot of interest and participation from the agriculture and the food chain sector, so the, the significant piece that agriculture and food has to play in regards to carbon reduction so so lots of really big players in the room there and i'll 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 bring that together a little bit later in the next slide uh, number six here annalise thank you uh pepsico and mccain some of our customers at home so pepsico is is the owner of frito-lay who we have our plant in Tabor and in Lethbridge and uh, McCain's of course is across the road from us here in Chin and you know both big sustainability platforms and heavy heavy right now on carbon and marketing and that is going right through the value chain and certainly down to the producer level on some recognition so next slide this is the interesting piece where internationally we are really starting to see not only that uh, countries participate but countries that are not participating are starting to feel a little bit of pressure from stuff like a carbon tax on actually imports and exports of goods into other pieces, and if we think about Canada and our our role in the police of international trade, our agriculture products specifically and, and oil and gas resources, we export a lot of stuff. So a relevant piece of news there kind of going around the world before I'll hop into our own journey. And then, like I said, I'll bring that back and hopefully it makes some sense why I started with uh, with some of the political news so the perry family farm so as in the introduction we're fourth generation farm right, right now i farm together with my brother and our, our families mom and dad are still happily in the picture and we got lots of girls and one little boy in the in the in the fifth generation to come we employ 12 full-time people and up to about 40 people uh, throughout the year at harvest time uh next slide we are primarily farmers for sure with a with a spotlight on potatoes and we love our spuds next slide we own 32 irrigated quarters of land and that's a lot of land we have a potato contract for for frito-lay and mccain's as as mentioned we have a green peak contract with Bondwell, we grow mixed grains, we grow green manure crops and some seed canola. So ultimately, we recognize that we use an incredible amount of resource to grow this food and that we must be responsible stewards to ensure sustainable production. Our strategic intent on the farm is to ensure that the farm is in better health and received for future generations. So next slide, uh, pulling from a fantastic book and read, if you haven't read it, a Good to Great, uh, one of the classics, but a BHAG and kind of where everything intersects there, it's a, intersects, it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. So I, we, we like the farmer version of this one on interdisciplinary thinkers to dream big, get shit done, know how to have fun. So in the middle of that, next slide, we came up with our 2020 vision so our 2020 vision on the farm was to reduce our, our major resource inputs by 20 percent and increase our net yields by 20 percent all by the year 2020 which was last year but that started off in 2012. A little recap on how that is going it went very well and uh we'll finish that up at the end but some of the things that we did on that journey to participate in that vision then was first of all soil life and carbon now my brother i meant to put a slide for harold on here but harold is a nuffield scholar he did travel the world in an agriculture setting looking at soil health and building soil carbon and we Participate in many practices on the farm to do this. So we compost every year uh, a lot We've uh, messed around with sequestering tractor Exhaust and it's sequestering it in the soil on our passes we do cover cropping and green manure cropping and Any soil amendment that we can possibly do to get more carbon back into our soil organic matter next slide Uh, The bigger picture piece on the energy front was really the birth of what GrowTech became. And and back in the day, we recognized that we use that large resource, as mentioned. We love renewable energy. We throw away a lot of potatoes. There's food waste uh, everywhere, unfortunately, in the system. And we wanted to do something great, and so next slide, in 2004, we said, let's build a biogas plant. So, so that's an old early rendition of what we wanted to do out in Chin and lo and behold, we got it done, but it was not an easy, an easy piece. So we'll get into that. But next slide, just to, really to be familiar biogas, I, I encourage if you enjoy the, the talk or or aren't quite familiar, we have a great website and association with the Canadian Biogas Association. Um, lots of information on there but essentially biogas gets it gets confused with biodiesel or biofuel which it is not exactly a biodiesel or fuel it's a biogas which is a methane source created from organic matter the breakdown in an anaerobic setting so we can do different things with biogas you can burn it in a flame to use as heat for a boiler Uh, we can upgrade the 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 biogas into a renewable natural gas and actually inject it into the to the gas grid, we can burn it in an engine to create electricity, or we can also actually uh, compress it and then turn it into a liquid fuel that could be used in the transportation industry, which it is uh, in a few spaces. So. Ultimately, though, agriculturally produced biogas, which is largely manure-based biogas production and and, or other organic waste, is a very low negative carbon intensity energy source. So much better than our present day energy uh, sort of production. So next slide, Uh, GrowTech, here's our old circle and how Grow the Energy Circle came to be, but really a circular economy and taking our cull potatoes lots of neighboring manure, um, processor waste, and some landfill diversion organics and feeding them into our anaerobic digesters, essentially an industrial stomach. Uh, we get byproducts out of that digestion, which is the biogas, but also digestate. So we are returning all the nutrients back to the land. We get a uh, reusable water and then we also get some residual heat that is used in our whole process and looking to co-locate goes back to the land and then so on and so forth. So. Uh, next slide lots of benefits from waste to energy we have the big one that we're talking about today really is the significant greenhouse gas reduction so um, it's a true green power like I say it's a base load it's it's a little bit one up on a for example a wind or a sun that it doesn't need the sun to shine and it doesn't need the wind to blow we're we're a, a light a we're a live cycle of biology that's running 24-7, so it's really a baseload. Utility companies and grids quite enjoy biogas from its stable energy production, whether it is in natural uh, renewable natural gas or electricity. So next slide, um, I'll get into this. This is a busy slide, but I just will go through. Uh, quickly the whole journey that we had so we really came up with the idea that 2002 2004 we went into a feasibility study with the Alberta Research Council Um, it sounded like a great great idea the story just there was no turning back It, it fit our farm and everything that we wanted to do the feasibility and the economics were not making a lot of sense, but we just believed in the project so much and, the, and it was the right piece. So there was quite a bit of government support coming back from uh, the, the the PCs back in the day with some of the bioproducer credit programs, a biomarketing and development program. Um, and we had a projection and a feasibility done with about 70 to hundred dollars per megawatt hour power going forward. Now that was, uh, that was great. And unfortunately, in, in some early years that didn't, uh, really come to be, but first of all, we'll jump in lots of regulatory pieces to get through. So 2010 and 11, we went into heavy planning and, uh, 2012, we went into approval. So, um, if you skip to the next slide, maybe please, we'll go into the regulatory permitting. And, and again, I'll go back to thinking about the early slides there that we are farmers at heart. So I can appreciate the oil and gas boys and uh, and everybody that has to, to deal with the commercial side of regulatory permitting much more. And I, I can say that us as farmers, we, do, we have not had to go through processes like this. So it was... Uh, overwhelming to say the least as farmers and you know all all this to go for uh, a better than normal practice so so doing better with our organic waste doing better with our manure resources and yet taking a lot more time effort energy and dollars to actually do that so uh the the big one was our alberta environment permit now because we're A waste to energy fill uh, system, we're basically kind of looking at almost a landfill, a version of a landfill permit because we are dealing with waste. So uh, a heap of stuff, groundwater reports in there, industrial runoff, geotechnical evaluations, um, development permits, et cetera. Next next slide. We had to do source emission surveys. We had to do air quality. We had to do uh, digestate land application uh, testing and we still do that baseline. And, and yearly after that, we're submitting reports. So again, I, I'm not to, to take away from anything. What I wanted to point out here is that in the egg sector we don't do this so if we do a little bit of, uh, of sampling and testing and we do it for for best practice at the same time we aren't required to do it and we aren't required to report on it so all of this is extra to do what we feel is actually a much more environmentally friendly and and more responsible way of dealing with with the resource so next slide um, on top of this uh, regulatory environment, we had to get the Alberta Utilities Commission permit as well. So another whole gambit of interconnection pieces, dealing with Fortis Alberta and AltaLink, and and trying to get connection into the grid. Now this is getting a little bit more easier all the time, which is great. So, you know, with the microgen regulation and all that kind of stuff is coming through, we were too big for microgen at the time. So we had to get a distributed generator permit. So again, lots involved on that front. And, and it really was a three to four year grind of getting all of everything in place that we did need to build this actual uh, facility. So next slide. Um, of course, with that came the financing. So to be honest, um, we had everything fall into place. This story was awesome. I've, I've done a presentation a lot of times and have had very little negative review on anything that we talk about. Uh, the hardest one to sell really was the banker. So uh, I'll give a shout out to our, our, our great partner, Alberta Treasury Branch, that has, has supported us through this little bit of a journey and kind of believed in, in what we were trying to do. Um, you know, we've, the biogas industry and this industry in general is interesting because it is, a, it is definitely a stretch for agriculture financing, some of this stuff. The market is very indeterminate. There's not a lot of history out there on this side of the pond. Um, and there's actually, even as late as just this last year, we have the Canadian biogas conference and they had a session, uh, actually specific to financers on, on understanding how, how banks can go about financing on farm biogas just because of the complexity and really understanding the equity position and what it all takes. There is so much extra that goes into everything from environmental permitting to compliance to, um, To uh, letters of credit and all that kind of stuff so next slide Um, and it's an ongoing process so we did all that to get our Alberta environment approval and then we wanted to change our system to make it a little bit better uh, choose some different technology albeit under the same roof and you know okay now we need to go back to Alberta and amend that approval so again just 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 ranting a little bit. It's it's all great right now, but it's again, it's a a much more involved system than your regular farmer really undertakes to do that. Uh, Next slide, there, please. So market conditions and government cycles through this were also challenging. So really, we came into we were we're really literally only the third biogas kind of farm based biogas system in Alberta. The first one was up in Vegreville, and it was a public-private partnership with Growing Power and, and Highmark, so Alberta Research Council So uh, helped with that one. So so lots of great stuff went on in some early days towards that system. And I do remember John McDougall, who was the CEO of the ARC at the time, he said, well, Chris, you know, timing is everything on projects like these. And and that's really stuck with me because, you know, like I mentioned, we pre- projected this $70 per megawatt hour going up sort of price return on market moving forward. And our first year was just over uh, $20 and our next year was actually under $20 a megawatt hour. So less than half of our actual worst case scenario that we had projected. So our timing wasn't great. I would say the timing today is much better. So I'll, I'll touch on that near the end. Um, in 2006, we had the Progressive Conservatives. Doug Horners was the Ag Minister at the time and really supported this. He came out. We had some great chats, and he understood it. Like I mentioned, some of the early programs in in 2011-12, as we were building, there was some sort of change that happened on the on the PC level that really pulled funding out of the bioenergy sector, and I'm sure it had to do with some mistakes, uh, some complexity, some, some economic markets, and, and really where the money was going. Going. So, unfortunately for us, that that hurt us at the time. Um, there was a food for fuel debate out there, which kind of got biogas got caught in. At the same time, we were never growing any crops for this system, but we were still kind of pulled into that. And that's what happened to some of the biodiesel in Alberta. So, and then there's a complexity behind the climate piece and GHGs for sure with any of the bioenergy stuff. And and it was a little early days. So we were well on our way we were we were driven to do this and I guess we we weren't going to take no for an answer so so we went through we got it done Uh, we commissioned it in 2014 like I mentioned sort of some some low power prices in 2015 we had our government change and the NDP came over or took over in Alberta and support was back on the table for bioenergy which was was great so we we went back to the lobby efforts Because the market situation wasn't just wasn't sustainable for biogas, and really worked towards you know having the government again support and um, the industry, and it 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 was a it was a tough process, and really biogas intersects so many different ministries like it really is about economic development it's about alberta it's about environment it's about agriculture it's about energy and we really never found a home and we we got bounced around a lot on where is the best place to to help this industry if we want it to grow and and at the time shannon phillips uh, as ag or as alberta environment minister she was a great supporter for us and we she uh, she came up with the bioproducer program, which was an incentive program for $60 a megawatt hour on our eligible electricity production, which was night and day. Like I mentioned, our first our first two years averaged about $20 a megawatt hour. We were looking at a break even of over 120 really on the biogas that we needed to find. So, so that was a huge help for us. Um, four year program. So it finished in March 2020, and um, so we are obviously beyond that now. And we're unfortunately back into just a negative situation on the on the economic front. Um, that being said, uh, the the UPC is back in now, and indication coming in was they still were of the same mindset to not really support the bioenergy. And but I will say, since that's happened, and COVID has happened, and the the oil crashed a little bit, we're 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 seeing a lot of support coming in for value-added agriculture. And I'll speak to that in a little bit. But that's where it, it really plays into sort of this big picture that I'm. I'm about to hopefully kind of bring together so if you want to go through the next you can just kind of slowly go through the next couple slides um just some construction photos it was a great project for us there's the no home like a dome out in in chin alberta and the the biogas facility that's right next to it on our highway 3 energy transition corridor here so on to slide 28 there um you know we have an up and running biogas plant in 2014. And since then, we've processed over between 15 and 20,000 tons of organic waste a year. Uh, over 50% of that is manure. Uh, we've generated a little over 4000 megawatt hours of electricity each year, which is two and a half times more than our entire farm uses uh, as electricity. So. Uh, a nice little success story there. Um, the next slide, and I can say as, as recently as uh, February 9th here, you know, again, there wasn't a lot of wind that day. It was minus 25 to minus 36. So we had power prices in the province through the through the power pool there of
0: $281. Chris, are you there? Up and
1: down, nice to see. Okay. And, and go, so yeah so next slide i just want to get into quickly here the alberta biogas opportunity i've advocated for this heavily that i I think we have a real potential to drive drive a biogas uh industry and i think it would be great for the province i think it would be great for rural alberta as well so next slide on number 31 here just to chime in a little bit um you know we have a, a greatest hits piece that we've put together and there's an opportunity there's over 1250 farms that produce manure that could be utilized as feedstock in a system similar to ours and based on our system and lethbridge biogas we've done some work together um, you know at just 10 percent of uptake. To- Facilities that would be the equivalent of over 75 megawatt uh, of renewable base load electricity. It would be a capital investment of over 600 million dollars. It would be over 400 full-time jobs created in a renewable energy, climate, uh, carbon-reducing sort of piece. So, as one little plant, we we are pretty small on farm producer. Uh, but in the big picture, we can distribute this across the province as a replicable piece. And supporting an industry like this, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of benefit. And um, I'll say, I, I guess I, I missed it, but back, you can stay where you are, but the Fortis BC, we have had a recent real uptake in renewable natural gas across the world. so. Uh, starting in Germany, of course, and Europe, first of all, but in North America, California has driven that market. And renewable natural gas is upgrading, upgrading biogas, feeding it into the grid to basically green and clean the grass, gas grid. So market prices, there's finally for us a market pull on that front. And we are, we've are we just signed a 20-year long-term contract with Fortis BC, which is what we've been hoping for and asking for for the last 15 years going after this project which is awesome and, and sort of a guaranteed price in return and, and that's why I will say a shout out and a thanks to the basically the province of British Columbia, different regulatory system there where there's still a regulated uh, utility so they are you know sharing that out but paying us for the environmental attributes for a little bit of a profit so next slide um, in doing what we're doing at the end of the day uh, we are getting a lot of a lot of kudos from our customers and our customers being pepsico and mccain like i mentioned pepsico had invited me and i did go over and participated in paris at the accord and agreements in in some con- side conversations based on agriculture and what we can play to to be involved with carbon and i say this because it's a it's a real deal that is is coming for i think agriculture and and all of us going forward. Um, And next slide, I'd say PepsiCo is not the only one. We have everybody on this slide was there at the table in Paris talking about how the ag food chain uh, needs to participate in climate action. So it is coming to be where, you know, um, that's a part of the conversation and marketing going forward. So even though they aren't offering to pay us more for food right now, it's a little bit, I feel the price of admission. And if you go back or to the next slide, uh, again, this is the threat. And I, I say this is specifically a threat for Alberta, for Canada, that, you know, carbon tax coming on export, we are an exporting country for our agriculture goods. And so when I see this kind of news, it, it really rings true for me on policy driven climate action, whether whether there's any belief there or not, it's it's the world stage on the economics that's that's sort of bringing everything together. And I think we need to be proactive on this stuff. So I do hope that we can continue the conversation in Alberta and actually build uh, a customer and a compliance space in Alberta, something similar to BC. It's a different market, but there is a potential to really build an industry. We have an incredible resource of feedstock. It can be integrated with the energy. Uh, sector, it can capitalize on the experience and expertise that we already have in-house. So so looking forward to carrying on the conversation, and I think I'm basically out of time. So thank you very much, and I'll, I'll turn it back to you.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. A fabulous talk. Um, we've got a few questions already in the queue, so I'll just get started right away. Our first question comes from Maria Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Chris. For your presentation. Oops, sorry, I just lost the question. there. Thank you, Chris, for your presentation. Thank you for all you do to protect our environment. Are you concerned about the water you need given the current concerns about coal mining in our headwaters?
1: Um, so yes, I guess I, I am concerned. I've expressed that I'm concerned about the water quality and, and the licensing factor. Now, we, we're we specifically not downstream from that same water license that some of the, the existing coal stuff is. So, so as far as um, from the actual amount of water, it doesn't affect us specifically. I am very concerned just about the the potential for, again, and in light of some of the recent news around some of that carbon uptake, and, and coal is not on anybody's high list around that, but it's not, you know, not coal energy. But if we do somehow contaminate water, I, I am concerned how it could affect our egg industry. I, I am concerned how it could affect egg processor attraction which I hope we can get many more egg processors happening in Alberta and specifically southern Alberta on the irrigated trail so I do I I am concerned about that and I won't say much more because there's also a oh that's when I'm supposed to stop talking (laughs) um But uh, so, so yes, so I, so I am concerned at the, same, at the same time, I think we do have a, a regulatory piece in there that, that does a good job. I'll say quickly to that, that even with our process, I find in Alberta in general, and this is totally my own opinion going through the system, we are very heavy upfront regulatory wise, which, which is great. It makes it very challenging to get an environmental approval permit, we, we found that out firsthand. And, and like I said, our oil and gas and coal and everything that's, that's not an easy thing to do. And I think that's in the best interest of everybody. Um, what I've found on the other side is I do, I do think maybe there could be some, you know, and I appreciate Grant Hunter as well as some of the red tape reduction, because some of that is really inhibiting to suit to, to good projects and, and projects that could go. I find if we put a little bit more effort actually on the compliance piece, and heaven forbid policing. But I, I've found, you know, I think after the fact and, and monitoring throughout, I think we could share a little bit more uh, a resource to that to make sure we're, we are continuing to do a good job, not just getting through the door. So I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: Our next question comes from Trevor Page. Has your changeover to sustainable farming reduced your bottom line in terms of dollars and cents? If so, by around what percentage?
1: Yes, I would say so far, no, it has cost us a lot more on the bottom line. So our our, for example, we we have taken our farm off-grid essentially virtually, and, and we've paid a lot more for our own power to do that. So right now, the feasibility of our biogas was not there. Uh, like I mentioned, with the sustainable practice on the energy side anyways, with this new contract that we have for Fortis BC, that looks like a profitable venture. It, it, all, To the best of my math, we will be doing very well, uh, hopefully up and running by june next year in which it will be returnable the compost and the soil amendments and everything that we're putting back into the soil and the soil health piece absolutely we are we are recognizing a return in in many soft ways um even on the biogas front though that the the direct return isn't maybe there for um sorry that's going to be that my phone hopefully that's not too loud but um um the uh the so- uh, s- sorry about that can i i'm just going to go can i yeah, go turn yeah, that off quick yeah
0: go ahead yeah we'll just wait a couple of minutes for him to turn off the phone and then um, we'll get yeah
1: okay Good. apologies <laughs> so um, do you I want hope me to repeat
0: sense. yeah do you want me to repeat the question Sure, Yeah. I'll answer okay. it briefly. Yeah, okay, so that was a question by Trevor Page. Has your changeover to sustainable farming reduced your bottom line in terms of dollars and cents? And if so, by around what percentage?
1: Okay, yeah, and so percentage on the, the electricity side, like the actual cost to us on a cost basis, I would say we're we're up 50 percent on the cost of our electricity on on the direct biogas of what we've done up to date that would be from november 2014 to today now on the the soil amendment and adding into the soil uh, we we had our vision 2020 to increase net yields by 20 percent while reducing our our inputs 20 percent that's a a much more complicated question and we're actually still working on the results of that so I don't know what a good answer would be, but I would say there's there's lots of soft benefits, everything from customers loving what we do to guaranteeing contracts going forward with with our with our customers to um, you know less disease pressure on our crops. Healthy soils make for healthy crops, make for healthy foods, as my brother likes to say. So that that's been a return absolutely. So, excellent. Hopefully that answer is it.
0: Um, our next question comes from Ian, Ian Hurdle. Any comments on direct use of your power when initially you had to use from the grid?
1: Um, yes. So. Um, I, I'm trying to think about the question there. We originally did have to actually purchase power back from the grid and we could not supply our own farm sort of behind the fence. So I'm not sure if that was is the question they're asking, but um, that was a challenge that has since been changed. And why I, th- I think we helped sort of change that rule actually. So right now we are drawing our own power before the grid. That does help us reduce our distribution and transmission cost, which frankly is a is more than 50% of our, our bill. So that has helped. It doesn't help with our irrigation sites, which are really getting penalized on distribution and transmission, has nothing to do with the power price itself. Um, our interconnect at the time of, it, it cost us over $500,000 just to connect to the grid for our project. So it was a, a really big cost and it's a you know it's you still pay the dnt fees um at the same time for we've actually got a letter of support from fortis uh, alberta on our electricity our because we're a base load we clean the grid uh in our neighborhood so we actually make that a little bit more uh stable grid as far as the power goes so we've actually recognized that on the farm that our power is cleaner on the farm and with a lot of electronic componentry etc we're we're we feel like we're getting a little more life out of it because of the the stable power
0: excellent um terry shillington uh chris how do how does this power source compare to the other power sources i think you're kind of answering that but
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Alberta's base right now, we're switching. We have mostly coal still, uh, maybe not mostly coal anymore. We're transitioning obviously into natural gas. So on the electricity side, um, wind is about 10%. Our biogas right now, we're almost non-existent uh, in in the whole scheme of things. Like I said, a replicable project like ours across 10% of the manure industry could supply approximately 10% of Alberta's needs right now. Uh, There is a shift where we will not be producing electricity. Uh, We will keep our combined heat power unit running, which will still mean we'll still be uh, producing electricity, but we'll be running natural gas and we'll be upgrading our biogas and injecting it into the natural gas grid. So we will be going through ACO. distribution system. And that's how we will be selling our environmental attributes. So every environmental attribute we have is going to Fortis BC in British Columbia because they're willing to pay for it. It's the first time somebody said, yes, we'll come and pay for it. So uh, again, that stabilizes the gas grid a little bit, but there's a real complexity behind the gas grid that operates a little bit differently than the power but i won't get into that i'm not sure hopefully that answers kind of the the question but yes we're a stable renewable energy source um a little better than sun and wind i gotta say that
0: um henning Mundell? perry on electricity production dash all for your farm now from biogas how about the solar photovoltaic
1: Yes. So we, we've, uh, played a little bit with the fo- so solar Voltaic. Like we have two, we have 20 kilowatts equivalent capacity. Um, we haven't seen a great return on our solar. Uh, and it has to do when you're micro generating on a house and you're, you're net metering, it's a little bit different than what we are doing on the farm. So we still need the distribution transmission piece coming through. So for example, though, uh, that 10 kilowatt array is the one out in front of the domes and this is uh it only happens at at full sunshine that we're getting that 10 kilowatts our biogas plant is 630 kilowatts continuously so it's obviously that's the difference there so not i'm i'm not against uh sun energy but i'm you know i'm a little hesitant to say it's the the greatest balance going forward there's there's a i think i think i'd like to wait and see a little bit what's going to come out of that one I'll, I'll i'll leave it at that
0: next question is from beth mondell thanks chris for sharing are others copying your biogas initiatives Innovations. sorry that's my wrong so thanks chris for sharing are others copying your biogra biogas innovations
1: so i'll say um there's a a lot of potential for the biogas industry like i've mentioned we it is not new so what although we are one of the only ones in alberta operating and there's ourselves and lethbridge biogas are the only kind of farm-based ones like i said going right now there was the one in vagabill there is over eight thousand of these similar plants in germany operating since starting kind of in the 1980s so when when we talk innovation, it's it. This is a commercial product, but it's really um, it needs the market driver. So I think the farmers will be willing to to invest or a, a portion will in this technology if it will make them a return. And I think with the with the with the clean fuel standards kind of coming, there's a small. I was we were hoping for more of a gas, biogas presence in that. Um, not a huge one but places like British Columbia and California are paying huge dollars for renewable natural gas and now that they're figuring out ways that they can transfer environmental attributes and buying at location that could that will be the new driver so i would say there will be i've had more interest and in calls in the last 6 months than i have in the the previous 10 years on interest in what we are doing so i would say it's it's a good time to start and i again i sure hope alberta can, can is ready to play i know some big players we've we've been talking um with the likes of of big players oil and gas in alberta and and they're very interested in the biogas they're only willing to pay compliance so whatever they're complied to do for the clean fuel standard is what they're willing to pay. So, and that's that's market. That's you can't really complain about that. We've asked them to pay more, but what what's happening right now is British Columbia is uh, uh, with with their green green drive is offering to pay more for the environmental attribute than we are in Alberta. So, I think unfortunately, unless compliance really changes. You'll see a little bit of investment, but it'll be driven by the bigger piece of of stuff like the clean fuel standards right now that'll go.
0: Um, Terry Shillington um, has clarified his question. So his question was, Chris, how does this power source compare to other power sources? And he's clarifying that question refers to the cost of production.
1: Okay, so uh, the cost of production. So, for example, uh, we compete against, if you were to take coal generation, um, but this is ballpark numbers, don't take my word on it, but I, I believe coal generation can make money at around that four, four, two to four cents a kilowatt hour running. Uh, natural gas, it really depends on the natural gas price, but it's in around that eight to Ten cents a kilowatt hour. Our cost for biogas to break even, we need over twelve cents a kilowatt hour. And and the reason I say that is, you know, there we're we're smaller. There there's an efficiency of scale. Uh, Biogas, even though we're running a same the similar engine to cogen using natural gas, it's uh, it's much more corrosive. We have to clean it, uh, get the H2S and stuff out. So. Even though it's a great story on dealing with the organic waste, there's there's a, obviously a cost and a maintenance that's over and above other production. Sun and wind, I think the you know the the markets are out there. I, sun and wind is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which is which is great. It's just we can't compete with sun and wind, uh, but they can't compete. That when the sun goes down and the wind stops, we're still producing. So you know by a market. Tend and hopefully with the deregulated some of the peaks coming that will balance out to sort of help pay pay like the biogas electricity drive in the end so hopefully that answers it there Trevor
0: Terry yeah that was Terry sorry
1: oh sorry uh, Terry yeah Terry.
0: Um, we have a comment from Kent Perry maybe one of your family members hi Chris very interesting commentary especially on renewable natural gas I like what you're doing for the environment. Um, then our next question comes from, yeah. Do you want to comment or
1: yeah? (laughs) (laughs) No, thanks Kent. Um, too, too bad you weren't uh, retired. You could come and help us out a little more on the natural gas side. (laughs) That's all.
0: (laughs) Okay. Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. Initially it was thought that Leftbridge green bins in, in, in brackets, organic domestic waste could be used to produce biogas. But apparently, the local, the local biogas producer found it could not be incorporated into their systems. Could yours use this waste without problem?
1: We have tried, and we have uh, we continue to try and go down that road. Ultimately, I hope so. Uh, the biggest challenge, again, ties. It's. That somebody throws a t-shirt, old t-shirt, into a green bin. You know, uh, somebody treats it as a garbage and throws in a wrench or whatever. We have a system that, on the large scale, is that contamination just kills us. It it, it wrecks our machinery, um, and it just takes a little bit of contamination to really do a big deal. So. Ultimately, it would be awesome if we could use more. That is coming more and more. The technology is getting a little bit better and better to make sure that we can get clean product. Um, it's very interesting. I'll jump into a real quick response here on, for our customers, we have, I'll, I'll take a McCain across the road, for example. McCain's has sort of, two, they're big, they have two divisions. So one is a marketing division and one is a food uh, acquisition and compliance uh, piece of the uh, company the marketing piece loves us right so we've talked with corporate headquarters on their carbon strategy and selling biogas to McCain uh, to help with their agenda on reducing climate they absolutely love what we're doing however when we are selling potatoes to McCain's their their food compliance and their food safety division is very concerned about our biogas plant, and that we are taking organics that have been processed back to the land that we're growing potatoes on, because you can imagine if they get one or news story that that somebody um, got sick from a potato that came out of Perry's farm on the biogas plant, it would be an absolute disaster for all of us. So there's a real uh, there's a real balance between making sure that we are, doing the right thing and doing it safely and that, that has some, uh, that there's a lot of ground yet to cover on that, I would say. And to, uh, again, unfortunately it comes down to cost. there's just a there's just a heap more cost in in doing all that so we've done a lot of organic recycling we've taken uh grocery waste from walmart we've worked originally with bfi and then what turned into gfl lethbridge biogas is still taking some gfl we still ask all the time if there are easy sources if anybody's out there that has organic sources we would love to take them um it was a lot of work for us to do the Walmart grocery waste. And it just, in the end, it took too much time for zero return. And since we were already making zero, we, we actually stopped that to go to, to more manure and organic sources.
0: Our next comment comes from Murray Strom, who um, has joined us today from Victoria, BC. A highlight of our last Alberta visit was the tour of this farm. And um, Murray continues on to say, Are you planning to replicate? No, that's not it. Sorry. Fantastic presentation. We're very proud of you and your fa- family. And then, are you planning to replicate your plants elsewhere in Alberta or are you just encouraging others to follow your lead?
1: Um- we we are encouraging others to follow our lead. We've been working on an industry. We need some strength in numbers, so it would be great to have more follow. Uh, before, the feasibi- economic feasibility wasn't there. It's very hard to encourage a neighbor to, to get in and lose some money with you. So <laughs> uh, it's a different situation now. And I will say that if we, we are actually working on some innovations. We were hoping to get some more funding, to be honest, from the ERA and the we're working on working with solid manure so solid manure in the feedlot industry in alberta is also quite contaminated with dirt rocks etc so we were working on a on our own home built sort of system to try to decontaminate this so that we could use more solid manure in our process and so I would say if we can figure this one out, we're gonna to have to do it on our own, it looks like a little bit now, but we if, if we can manage that, we have a couple partners that we work with that are, are keen to work with us. Um, Casco Cattle and, and KCL Cattle are, are two two large operators that are great, great uh, partners and smart businessmen and would be willing to invest in something like this. So we'd love to do, a little bit more. We're gonna make sure that we're making a little bit of money first and have that figured out before before venturing into that. But lots of potential. Lots of potential. Excellent. Um, Hi, Marie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Our next question comes from Barry Olson. Good presentation. Thanks. But burning biogas still produces carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas.
1: Uh, Correct, it does. So if you take a look at our carbon intensity, so we've done a recent carbon intensity um, life cycle assessment on our biogas facility. And our score is minus, it is greater, is less than, I guess as it goes, minus 50 grams of carbon dioxide equivalent per megajoule over what the standard practice of that energy is. So regardless, we are selling uh, 4,500 Tons, approximately, of greenhouse gas offsets in Alberta each year. So that's per the specified gas emitters regulation. It's third-party verified. Um, there is no argument that uh, egg biogas that we, you know, with the proper feedstock and location and figuring it all out is is absolutely a better energy. It just costs more. So uh, I'm not. I'm. Not, I would argue uh, a lot at that the carbon intensity is much better than our grid. We're, we're way less carbon intensive than all the other energy sources that are going in, including sun and wind, by the way, I would argue, in the Alberta grid. So electricity-wise, um, with our contract with Fortis BC and selling to British Columbia as we're selling the environmental attributes, we have to maintain uh, and supply a third-party verified report yearly that we maintain that that carbon intensity so we can't just all of a sudden go for example and grow a circle of sugar beets to put into our digester because that would drastically decrease our carbon intensity score and then our contract wouldn't be valid so there's mechanisms coming in place that are you know they're all in the right direction and that's what this this is about so yeah thanks sir Barry
0: our next question comes from Graham Fogg hi Chris Have you now upgraded your equipment to clean up the biogas to produce RNG for Fortis BC? What kind of payback on this investment do you expect in years?
1: Well we will we'll tackle that one as it comes but absolutely so we are uh, that, that's the good news with the Fortis BC contract we are we are expanding our plant we are presently uh, we've we are in the detailed design engineering portion of a bio what's called a BUP or a biogas upgrade plant so we will actually be co-locating the BUP with our digester and then like I said we are transitioning into producing RNG instead of electricity with our biogas and That's all because of market situations. I wish we could have had the same deal just on electricity, since it was already there. But the new, the new market drive, and 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 in a way, I, I agree with that. I wish we would have done that off the bat. But every regul, every uh, jurisdiction is a little bit different. So in Alberta, uh, electricity was the only way we could go when we built. In British Columbia, ten years ago, we could have done RNG already. So, but. But now you can do the RNG everywhere, and that is the market driver. And of course, you're getting 100% recovery of the energy value for doing that, as opposed to in the burning it in an engine. You know, the engine is about 35% efficient. We are losing heat and uh, just the efficiency from that, but we are also capturing the heat to use it in our process. So it's a, it's a complicated equation, but yes, RNG is coming.
0: Okay. Our next question comes from, um, well, Mark, I see that you've already asked a question. This is your second question. If we have time at the end, I'll come back to you. Um, so our next question comes from Kent Perry. How does the heat value of the renewable NG compare to that uh, compared to that, that you receive from Adco?
1: Um The heating value? You know what? We... That's a good question. The actual biogas itself is 60 percent approx between 50 and 70 percent methane, and then the heating value. All I can say is, uh, it's going to match the specs that Acco asks for to feed it into the grid. So when we upgrade it, the heating value has to be a certain quality and spec. And I'm sorry, I don't. I'm not the engineer in the in the family, so that one's not off my head. But the the methane value is, is going to have to reach those specs. I am not, I can't remember off my head what the heating value of just biogas is. Sorry.
0: Our next question comes from Brody Curtis and it's a two part question. Good morning, Chris. Can the nutri- nutrient value of the digestible be compared to that of manure slash compost in quantifiable way when it's spread on your fields? And if so, what is that value and how well does the digestible spreading play into the 2020 goal of 20% reduced inputs and 20% increased outputs?
1: (laughs) Okay, good question there, Brody. Um, We're getting into the complexity of the biosphere. So essentially, when we're running uh, spreading straight manure onto ground. The best thing you could do is, is literally take it out of an animal's butt and then incorporate it in the soil and you would capture all the energy, but it really, it's an equation of what happens to that manure after it's excreted from the animal. So how long does it sit in a feed pen? How does, how long does it sit in a manure lagoon? How long does it do this? So the whole time it's doing that it's releasing methane. Um, when we're composting we're trying to capture and and uh, aerobically basically digest that and and um, i won't talk about the compost but the the digestion is anaerobic digesting that so what we're doing is we're also stabilizing the nutrient value so all the nutrients that go in are going to come out in a little bit of different form all we're really doing is capturing the methane off of that, so instead of methane offgassing in some of the systems, the methane's running the energy. The nutrient equivalent, what goes in, basically comes out. Now that's not exact science, but it's very close. So, so we get lots, and that goes. Uh, basically, we say on our 2020 vision, when we've reduced 20% inputs on the energy, we've produced two and a half times more on the nutrition side because we're getting this organic. Uh, while the manure and the organics in, it's, it's reducing our, our nutrient uh, inputs, probably 30 to 40%. And we are doing some math on how that compares to our existing compost and, uh, and manure sources, but easy answer, what goes in comes out. So, and that's all more stabilized and going back to land as a, an, an amendment. So hopefully that gets you somewhere.
0: Excellent. Our next, uh, it's kind of more a comment than a question, I believe. Great presentation from Jess N. Great presentation. Thank you. I also work at a natural gas utility with operations in BC, Alberta, and um, NS. Try Summit Utilities. There's a great potential here. Would welcome the opportunity to discuss investments in RNG and potentially and potential to purchase the RNG.
1: Wow. it's interesting, uh, Jess, and I'll, I'll just throw a comment out there since we're on it, but we, we've been working with companies like TC Energy. Uh, they run a lot of gas grid, the transmission side in Alberta. Um, Atco, obviously. Uh, lots of companies, and we have had conversations and tried to approach companies the past 15 years on, on the sale of our goods. And uh, really, the answer was the same. Uh, Too expensive, not enough to worry about. Great story, keep doing what you're doing. And in the last six months, TC Energy has called us. ATCO has called us, they haven't been willing to go, they're doing their own thing on the RNG, but you know what, everybody's willing and wanting to play in this game now. So the traction and the momentum is absolutely building. And Jess, obviously your, your comment here is just another point that, you know what, there there's a real market pull and uh, it all really has to do with around everything from compliance in the clean fuel standard piece to to marketing the green energy and, and all ultimately back to that Paris Agreement. So so thanks for the comment and uh, feel free, I think, I, I don't know if my contact is up, but email is absolutely the best way to get a hold of me if you want to send me an email and we can connect.
0: I have just put your contact card up and I'll leave it up uh, for a little bit longer while I ask the next question. Um, okay. The next question comes from James Byrne. Thanks, Chris. At UVEL chemistry research argues you can produce much more dollar value from ag nutrients biogas is step one of a much bigger value added steps thoughts appreciated
1: yeah i'll say uh, it's interesting because when we go i i go participate in the biogas uh, meetings in vancouver and the in abbotsford for example the biogas plants there the nutrient loading is is heavy onto the ground so they are really looking at ways to value add the nutrient coming out the digestate uh, sort of isolating that and and value adding what that is and I, th- I think that's great uh in our situation we are land rich so we have a a whole bunch of land that we actually want all the nutrient value back. So as much as we may be able to value add and sell that for more, right now we're very happy with that nutrient going back to our own own land base. But there there's lots of potential. I could absolutely put you in touch as well with some of the, the work that's already been done on this, and there's quite a bit of it going on, I know specifically in British Columbia, but uh, even Alberta Research Council did a little bit back in the day, and there there is lots of potential there for that. Lethbridge Biogas is also wanting to look at that when they are, because they are shifting, also transitioning to RNG this year, and they've been looking at that as well.
0: Excellent. Um, I'm just going back to Mark Godel's question. Do you need to pay GST on the power you produce and use on your own? We homeowners with solar don't.
1: Um you know what it's a it's kind of a wash for us because we're a company and we're in agriculture so we pay the GST but then we get it back. So um it is a transaction but yeah it's basically we do not which is we, we get the GST uh from the ISO, from the Alberta Electricity Systems Operator, but then we we pay that back as the company. So
0: um, our last question comes from Beth Mundell. Do you sell your digestate or only use on your farm?
1: Um, right now, I'd love, we, we use a little bit in our garden <laughs> and a lot of people love to use it in their garden. Um, it's it's a little bit scary because uh, I mentioned a lot of regulatory information before. Uh, that brings into a whole other piece, which is the CFIA. So the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, when we start selling fertilizer, and um, again, it goes back to a little bit all for the right reasons. If somebody were to put this on their garden and, and eat the strawberries and somebody were to get sick, uh, that there's a liability there that we haven't really – managed or invested in so um, it's a tough one it's it's a great product it's a little bit stinky as as you can well imagine but it's uh, we love it and we do use it and and I think there's some real value add opportunities for the for the digestate coming out so uh, there may be more of that to come again when when we start turning a profit on this place, um, hopefully that happens one day. It will all be going back into stuff like that on figuring that out. So uh, hoping that happens.
0: Excellent. Um, that was the end of our questions. We got one comment from uh, Jess N. Uh, thanks, Chris. Apologies. N S equals Nova Scotia. Yeah, I, I. My apologies for not being quick <laughs> enough. To my brain seems to not, not pick that up until after. But yeah. Um, before we um, end the live stream today, Chris, um, why, do you have a take-home message for our viewers?
1: Um, you know, I think uh, what I would just say is I, I love, I would just encourage the big picture thinking. Um, th- there's lots of little talk on small stuff, and I think we get sidetracked for a lot of um, you know, even with the with the news and the social media,s we tend to gravitate towards just certain uh, perspectives, and uh, on everything from climate change to energy production to all that these pieces. And I I think it's so much bigger than that. Um, I say that I you know politically wise, I I support people and ideas. I I love circular economy and just doing doing the best that we can with the knowledge that we, and the technology we have. And you know what, I hope for a system that, that supports that more and more and more. And uh, so there's there's lots of great stuff and lots of great stories going on. Like I uh, mentioned in the introduction is just, in the egg sector, we have a huge role and an opportunity to play. And I, I think, you know, Alberta can, can help harness and let's get some more processing going on like bio plastics materials uh, PLA um, energy distributed across the rural landscape not not just one big that that we all share in that so think big um, support the causes and and yeah I think you know British Columbia is interesting with this RNG if you if you love and support our story uh, British Columbia does and their people have voted and uh, to support that purchase of our RNG, right? And and Alberta hasn't done that, and we know why that hasn't happened. I mean, we have an awesome fossil fuel sector here, and I'm I'm not complaining or putting that down at all. Uh, we're just in a different demographic, but there's that's big picture, and that's that's awesome. So I, I think you know what, keep the big picture in mind, and and don't don't get honed into just one one piece. That's that's that came out of nowhere I guess <laughs> uh.
0: wonderful uh, thank you so much and we have lots of thank yous in the queue I'll just read out of you uh, Laura Schultz Chris thank you very much for the presentation this morning very hopeful uh, Ian Hurdle super talk Mark Goodall way to go great stuff could Peterson many thanks Chris And on behalf of SACPA, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today. And to our viewers, I hope you will join us um, next week for a presentation with Kathleen Massey on how are post-secondary students coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's next week, Thursday at uh, our same time at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, Thanks very much and I'll end the live stream.
1: Thank you.